better than you. I know. So if we put it right here and I talk like this and then you say some words. And I'll talk like this. And we won't talk over each other, will we? Probably. Oh. Oh, now, yeah, now you got quiet. You we'll be... work on that. Can you? Can I get louder? Yeah. Yes. Okay, great. Hi, welcome to You Should Care About This. In which I, John, older brother and history nerd, try to convince... Aaron, younger sister, not history nerd. ...to care about Christian history by telling mostly true stories of people's revolts and revolutionary movements. What were you going to talk about today? So, welcome to the third episode. Okay, so last first two episodes we did were historical things that I'm like really particularly excited about that I could just sort of ramble about for 30 minutes. Mm. Um and you did. And I did. Thank you. And in that first episode when we were talking about Munster and the nailing of the genitals, there were some interesting things that came up about uh, gender. Women doctors in Germany in the early century. Yeah. So I uh, would like to bring two episodes, the next two episodes, that are not like, there's sort of a, a not a corrective, but a like uh, addition to that story from different time periods. Um, and the first is a group of people known as the Desert Mothers and Fathers. Okay. Is that a group you've heard of? No. Okay. If you were to imagine a group of Desert Mothers and Fathers, what would you imagine? I'm picturing parents in a desert. So, it, hot. Sweaty? Hot, sweaty parents. Dry. The climate is arid. In a desert. In this case, mothers and fathers, not in the sense of, of they have children, though some of them do have children, but in the sense that they are mothers and fathers of the faith. Early on in Christianity, in the history of the church, it was at some points either illegal to be Christian or else just like highly socially discouraged. Mm-hmm. Uh, so some people seeking to really, really practice the purity of the faith and also to escape being killed would go out sort of escaping the cities and the towns and live in the desert. First person in our story's name is Paul, Paul of Thebes. Paul not, of Thebes. Not Paul of the Bible. Not Paul of the Bible. It's after the Bible. Paul of Thebes lived alone in the desert from age 16 to age 113, apparently. He lives in the desert in Egypt in a cave. 97 years. Yeah. It, 97 years in a cave. Uh, and he just sort of hung out there and, and, and practiced, practiced his faith in a cave. But this guy named Anthony, when he's a, when he's a young person, hears this sermon uh, preached in his, in his little house church about obtaining perfect, perfection by selling all of his possessions and giving to the poor. And he's like, oh, I've heard about this guy named Paul who lives in a cave. So he went out to the desert to find Paul. Anthony did. Anthony went out to find Paul. Yeah. Tony went out to find Paul. And they talked for a day, and they shared communion. And then Anthony, or Tony, left, and Tony came back later, and Paul was dead. Yes. Yes, the end of the story. It's been a fun podcast. Thank you. Tune in next week to hear me talk about something different. Okay. This is right at the turning point where Christianity goes from being illegal or, like, highly persecuted to fully legalized. So ten years after uh, Tony finds Paul dead in the cave, Christianity becomes legal in Egypt. And so... Uh, this presents kind of a, a problem for Christians because... Quandary, as it were. Quandary, as it were, because before they had a very easy way of demonstrating how passionate they were about their faith, they could just kill, kill for it. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Now they don't have that. Damn. So the option of what is called red martyrdom is no longer available, so they have to pursue other forms of martyrdom. And so this leads Tony back out into the desert... Uh, with some other people to try and, and escape the worst excesses of Roman society 
and all the impurities and all the evils and live in absolute simplicity and seclusion. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they're out they're out there in the desert doing their thing. And it's it you know, first it's just like Tony and some friends and then it starts expanding and eventually this guy uh Pacomius shows shows up and he develops the first what become monasteries. Okay. Uh, groups of people where there's discipline and obedience to shared uh, rules. There's manual labor and silence and fasting and long periods of prayer and all their possessions are held in common. And this may have been based on the fact that he used to be a Roman soldier before he became a Christian, before he became a weird monk in the desert. Um, but he creates the first sort of monasteries. Okay. Tony. To- uh, and this is Pacomius. Pacomius. Good guy. Packy. Got it. Thank you. Um, so, yeah, you can you can forget about Paul at this point. He's very dead. Yeah, no. This This sort of blows up as a thing. Right these the, monasteries. These monasteries. And the, and well, and specifically going out to the desert, mostly in Egypt. It's people from all class backgrounds who mm-hmm. are moving out to the desert to try to really, really uh, get serious about their meditation and their prayer. Uh, so imagine like thousands of people like leaving the city to go like live in Utah, sort of a, like a drug-free burning man sort of situation. And it really is like tens of thousands of people at one point. There are like over 3,000 separate communities in the desert in Egypt. People say the desert becomes its own city, which is sort of, you know, maybe not exactly what they were aiming for. But here we are. Well, there they were. There's, they can divide the people in the desert into three groups. Yes. Group one are uh, the monasteries, what are called Cenobitic Communities. Yep, we'll They're go with Cenobites. Oh, yes. Option two are the... <laughs> At the preschool, we serve Cenobites. Yeah, yeah. So these are these are groups of people living together. They're Cenobites. Cenobuns. Well, they're like mini Cenobuns that are stuck together. They're Cenobites. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Jesus is the glue that holds together our Cenobites. Yeah. Uh, option two is the austere hermit-ness that are called Anchorites. They live by themselves. We don't serve those. No, they serve themselves. They are anchorites. Or they serve God by themselves. And then option three is sort of the halfway in between, which is like semi-hermit small groups. Like you're a hermit part of the time and you get together with your friends on the weekend. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like when they're people who are homeschooled together. Sure, yeah, cool. That's a good example. Uh, one of the other things about these communities that are popping up in Egypt, this is like the 300s, by the way, for some years here. So Christianity is becoming legal. It's getting taken over by the empire. Um, it's getting more and more like the rest of society, and these people are saying, we don't want to be like the rest of Roman society. We think it's really corrupt and violent and evil, and so we're going to go be pure. We're going to give all of our money to the poor. We're going to renounce all the pleasures of the world, all the rich food and the baths and anything that makes us comfortable, clean clothing. We're going to give it all up. We're going to live in the desert. Were these co-ed monasteries? Some of them were. There's a, there's a story that gets told that some of the men who lived out in the desert wouldn't look at any time they saw a woman coming towards them, they would avert their eyes so that they wouldn't be tempted by lust. That sounds fun. Yeah, yeah. So, so anyway, these women are walking down the street and uh, walking down the desert. There's no streets. It's a desert. And this uh, brother comes towards them and he sees them and he looks away. And one of the women says, well, if you were really pure, you wouldn't mind looking at us because you wouldn't be tempted. So uh, you're failing. Boom. He calls them out. And the fact is that there are... So uh, this podcast is about the beginning of call-out culture. I feel like you always set me up for jokes, and then I don't really have a, a joke to follow up. We'll work on it. Yeah, you're like teeing me up really well, and then I fumble it. So Two different sports. <laughs> well, that's why we're not working very well. D- depending on, some, on who you ask, there were maybe twice as many women as men in these 
desert communities in the three four hundreds. I have actually heard that women are better than men. Twice as good. Yeah. Yes. And this is in part because in Roman society it was illegal for women to be financially independent if unless they'd been uh, divorced or widowed or given birth to a minimum of three children. And so some upper-class women would register as prostitutes. That was another way of, of being able to operate financially independently. Or they would uh, get officially licensed as virgins. You'd get officially licensed as a virgin. This becomes a, a big deal. Lots of people do this. If you're consecrated as a virgin, then you're free from a lot of the laws. You can preach. You can lead a church. Uh, and, of course, this presents kind of a problem to Roman society. So, Do in, the men get consecrated as virgins? Not so much. Okay. Men can operate independently as virgins or not. They don't need it. So this pisses off some Roman leaders in the 3rd century. That's the 200s. Diocletian orders attack on Christian women. Uh, 1,000 widows are martyred in Antioch, and 2,000 virgins are killed in, in Syria. I don't know where that is. Why? They're because they're financially independent? Yeah, well, they're, they're a threat to the social order in a sense, and they're they're disrupt they're you know they're being disruptive, and and by large Christianity is being disruptive. I'm gonna start a punk rock band and we're gonna be called the Disruptive Virgins. I love it. I would come see your shows. Continue. There are a whole bunch of women who and uh, and some men as well who are dropping out of society entirely, going to meditate every day and just do acts of service for the poor, and they've given away everything they own. I, can I read you some quotes? In the from original. These I'm, a, I'm not going to read you in the original Latin. Oh, I'll take the translations. Okay. So, the, one of the reasons that we know and care about the desert, mothers and fathers, is that some people took the time to record all of their, many of their sayings and wrote them down in these books. And so, we have these books of a couple hundred sayings from them. Okay. That are sort of like short stories for you to meditate on, reflect on. And, and sayings of, of wisdom. Here's one to test your uh, test your uh, vocab. So an anchorite. What's an anchorite? It was the second group. Yeah, they live by themselves. Themselves. I sort of imagine they're like a like they're sort of like an isolated thing, like anchored to the underside of a cliff, uh, or like into a cave. Anchorites. Mnemonic device. Like sure. it. Uh, who they? So there's an anchorite who had a strictly disciplined existence. Was living near a cenobian. What's a cenobian? Cinnabon. Yeah, Cenobian is someone who lives in a group. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, the story goes that an anchorite who lived a strictly disciplined existence was living near a Cenobian. Some people happened to visit the Cenobian, and they constrained him to eat out of hours. And okay. They, they made him eat food when he wasn't supposed to. Got it. Afterwards, the brothers said to him, Were you not distressed just now, Father? And he said to them, My distress is when I do my own will. No, it's really deep. Yeah, it wasn't his own will to eat out of hours, so he wasn't distressed by it. Deep. What's a synovial fluid? <laughs> Sorry, what? <laughs> like the the medical thing? Yeah, it's like it sounds the same. Maybe it's brain related. Amen. Do you know? Sorry. Synovial fluid. Isn't that the the Joints? fluid you're in your? Mom, what's synovial fluid? Oh, boy, this has gotten out of hand. Yeah, the joints. <laughs> oh! Everyone's listening. Here's another quote. It's in the joints, folks. Okay, another quote. Uh, the abbot Theodore of, of Fermi had three fine codices. Coitai. Nope, codices. Okay. Coitices is different. He did <laughs> not have three fine codices. That would be a different story. Uh, anyway, codices are books. Oh, he could have said that. Yeah, well, he said codices. 
So anyway, the abbot, Theodore Fermi, came, went to the abbot, Macarius, everybody's abbot so-and-so, or brother so-and-so. Or in this. Costello. Theodore said to Macarius, I have three codices, and I profit by the reading of them. And the brethren also come seeking to read them, and they themselves profit. Tell me, therefore, what I ought to do. What do I do with my books? And the old man answering said, These are good deeds, but better than all is to possess nothing. And hearing this, he went away and sold the aforementioned codices and gave the price of them to the needy. What do you think of that? Deep. Deep. Is that what I said about the last one? Should switch it up. <laughs> so, try so much to think about. What do you think about that one? Wordy. Mm. I mean, deep. <laughs> <You're> <laughs> uh, I wasn't thinking about snowmobile fluid that time, though, so I think we're getting there. What's the next one? Well, uh, this next one, I don't have a... I have a full story. I'm going to leave you... We'll do one more story. Okay. Um, this is a story about a woman named Paula. Abdul. So Paula was a wealthy woman in Rome. Miss Abdul. And uh, she was a member of this sort of circle of elite uh, Roman women who are also Christian in, in Rome. And this is, uh, I don't know, like the 400s or something like this. She, after she uh, gave birth to a male heir, she took a vow of chastity and began to spend more time with these women. Then her husband died. Convenient. And as a wealthy widow of age 35, she sort of dove full on to this community, and she met this dude named uh, Jerome. He's important. He shows up later. And so Paula and Jerome are, are hanging out, and they're helping to lead this group of, of rich Roman women who are trying to live ascetic lives. So they're trying to live like the desert fathers and mothers, but they're wealthy and live in Rome. So they're, like, sleeping on the ground and, like, refusing to shower and refusing to eat fancy food, but they're living in their fancy houses. Got it. Yeah. No, I follow. I'm sure there's a contemporary example of this. Well, the ones that I'm thinking of are great. No. What's the 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 house in Philadelphia that bucked all uh, all so social norms and then got bombed? Move. Move is not a great example yeah. of this. I think this is more of a Gwyneth Paltrow situation. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, this Good is to more. Know. This is more of a so, so Gwyneth, Saint Gwyneth, Abdul. Um. So Paula's eldest daughter died, possibly from excessive fasting, which is embarrassing. Isn't that called starving? <laughs> yeah, 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 but it's self-induced. Oh, okay. So an angry crowd threw stones at Paula for basically kind of pushing her daughter to starve herself to death. Not great. So she and her remaining virgin daughter, whose name was Eustochium nice. and Jerome. They Write all that left. on the list of names, Eamon. Eustochium. Aaron's going to name her child Eustochium. So they leave, uh, they leave on a boat, and they leave her other children behind, including her infant son. And her children are all standing on the shore watching the ship leaves, leave, and Paula turns her back on them and burn. sails off. Yeah. The final burn. And so Jerome writes later, she knew herself no more as a mother that she might approve herself a handmaid of Christ. Ooh. Intense. Not, so, I like that. So, so uh, Paula and uh, Eustochium and their buddy Jerome spent a bunch of time traveling through Jerusalem and Egypt. Egypt, they stayed with the desert fathers and mothers, and they learned a lot, and they finally settled in Bethlehem. And Paula used all of her money to start this monastery, one for men and one for women. Jerome was in the monastery for men. She was in the monastery for women. And brought together people from much different social classes, again, to live in pseudo-poverty and eat bad food, and, and but pray all the time. That's okay. what they're doing. And they're praying all the time and doing good works to support poor people. Uh, and this is where she becomes kind of incredibly important for the history of Christianity, both that she is, like, establishing 
early monasteries that, uh-huh. like, perpetuate this. And as the Roman Empire falls apart, a lot of what people do to, to maintain traditions of learning, to maintain order, to maintain, like, care of the poor is monasteries. Okay. So she's helping start that. But then she's also definitely not dating this guy named Jerome. Nope. And she suggests to him that he translate the Bible, which is then in Hebrew and Greek, into Latin. Mm. And she provides him all the reference materials, and she edits the manuscript, and she makes her daughter daughter make copies of it by hand. And Jerome produces, well, Jerome, but really Paula and Eustochium produce what's known as the Vulgate, which is the standard version of the Catholic... Is that a ship in the Star Trek? Nope, not not that Vulgate. Nope, nope, not the Star Trek ship. But it's the Bible that gets used for 1,500 years. Ah. Yeah. So when Martin Luther has to argue a thousand years later what the Bible means, he's he's reading out of Jerome's and ultimately Paul and Eustochium's translation, and then he has to go back to the original Greek and be like, wait a minute, I, I, he, Jerome may have got some words wrong here, but like the for nerve. a thousand years, that was the text people were using. And then for another 500 years, it's still the text the Catholic Church was using. The Vulgate. So she's kind of important. Yeah. When she dies... All the bishops from the surrounding cities come by, and even like the desert anchorites come out of their cells mm-hmm. and out of their anchors, and they come to to pray over her dead body, and they bury her near the Church of the Nativity in Bethlehem. And then Jerome was buried beside her 16 years later. Gwyneth Paltrow invented yoga, I've heard. That's yeah, yeah, and and then she also invented the Bible. The Bible later. It seems it seems like first yoga and then the Bible. Probably actually follows the order of things that happened. Yeah, it seems about right. What did we learn today? Today we learned that sometimes people seek out a tradition that's outside of the empire, specifically Eustochium, um, my, my firstborn, and Paula's oldest virgin girl, only, only virgin? Pa- Paula's virgin daughter, who created the Bible with their not-boyfriend slash not-father. Let me try that again. Today we learned about the early church in the 300s and how they were in Cinnabons and anchors and sometimes a mix of the two, depending on how friendly they were to others or how much they wanted to be friendly. And then they did that in the city too. And then they left on a ship and made the Bible and were buried in Bethlehem. Correct me if I'm wrong. No, those, I think those are mostly facts. Thank you. Yeah, very good. Uh, codices are books. Coitices are other things. And synovial fluid is in the joints. Also fun facts we have learned. Amen, anything else you want to add? And the Catholics are using the wrong brand of The Vulgate. Not the, the Vulgate. <laughs>